thanks so much for being here this morning. If you're new to City Church, uh, if you would, text NEW to that number right there. And uh, we'll give you some, uh, if you text NEW to that number, we'll give you a text. We'll send you a link, actually, by text that will give you some information about our church so that you can know more about who we are, what we're about, that kind of thing. And we promise you won't get a bunch of other texts from a bunch of different companies and things. You just get one text from us, and that's it. Um, The other thing is I want to make you guys aware that on Christmas Eve, we'll be doing a Christmas Eve service uh, to be at 5 o'clock at uh, Discovery Lodge at Burdett Park. So make sure that you put that on your calendar. Also want to tell you guys, some of you will remember that we have this relationship with Community One. And in this relationship with Community One, we help rebuild homes in the neighborhoods uh, around the city, and, and we try to do special projects for people who can't do them themselves. We talked to you guys a few weeks ago about a, an 81-year-old woman who needed her house painted, and she's getting like uh, code violations from the city and things. And a couple of churches had signed up, and they said, well, we'll take care of that problem for you. But then they backed out. Well, we decided we wanted to come in, and we, we want to do that work for her. And so we had scheduled it a number of weeks ago, but it was like so cold you couldn't paint. I mean, like the paint would have frozen. So we decided that we're, gonna, we're, we're still going to do it, and we're going to do it next Saturday. Now, if you've signed up to be a part of that project already, uh, or if you'd like to sign up to be a part of that project, if you would, just uh, step outside after the service and go to the city square and you can sign up or else they'll tell you if you've already signed up they'll give you more information about what's involved but we would really appreciate you being a part of that project that's next saturday at eight o'clock and then finally i just want to say this um we talked to you guys about i sent a letter out to everybody i sent an email as well to everybody about year-end giving i know that you get a lot of requests from nonprofit organizations during the month of december uh, asking you to give. I would just say this. That if City Church has made an impact on your life in some way this year, if it's changed your perspective in some way, if it's challenged you spiritually, if you feel like you've grown spiritually, if, you've had a, if you feel like you've had an opportunity to use your gifts or talents or abilities in some way here at City Church, we'd just ask you, if you would, uh, to make a special contribution to City Church uh, before December 31st. We've kind of set a goal that we'd like to have total contributions in the month of December run somewhere between fifty dollars and $80,000. It's kind of a broad goal, I know. But um, there were three Sundays of the year this year that we weren't able to meet as a church. And if we were able to raise that much money between now and the end of the year, it would really make up a big difference for us. And we would appreciate it if you would consider making a contribution to City Church. If you don't have the money or if you're new here, don't worry about it. But if you feel like that, that, that you have been a part of this church through the year and it's made an impact in your life, uh, please uh, contribute to City Church uh, during the month of December. We would appreciate it. And I would mention, though, too, uh, to those who listen to us um, online, who may be listening right now by virtue of our podcast or our app, we know uh, that we have a large listenership, uh, really, throughout the city of Evansville, and really throughout the country. We're able to determine that from statistics that we get from our app and our podcast. And, you know, if you listen to our app or podcast and you feel like you get fed spiritually through that, we would just ask that you make a contribution to City Church, and you can do it online. And uh, go out to our website at citychurchevv.com, and you can give uh, to us online. I'm going to ask one more thing. I said, I said that was going to be the last thing. I'm going to tell you one more thing and ask, request something from you would like to request that you pray 
uh, for City Church. And in particular, what I'd like for you to pray about is this. There is a building that we have identified that has come available that we uh, are very interested in. Now, we're in the process right now of doing all of the, of the due diligence that we need to do in order, in order to, to determine if this is a good building for us or not and, and is it one that we can afford and, and all of that. But in that process, I would just ask you to be praying for our board, our elder board, that we would have wisdom as we go about trying to, to determine if this is the right thing. And then um, just praying about the availability of that building. If you would pray those things, we would appreciate it. And as more information comes available, uh, we will keep you very informed about that. All right? Let me say a word of prayer, and then we're going to open the scriptures in a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much this morning for the opportunity to come before you. And Lord, we know that your spirit is present in the room this morning. And we know that your spirit is present in hearts this morning. Lord, we pray that as we encounter the scriptures today, that you would speak to us through those scriptures, that you would challenge us, that you would change us, that you would open us to what you would do in our lives because we believe that you are the center of life. You're the object of life. We want to know you, and we want to be changed by you, and we want to change this city as a result of being changed by you. And so, Lord, speak to us today. Open our our ears, and open our eyes. Lord, we pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's December again, and um, with December comes everything that Christmas entails. And I have to tell you that Christmas catches me off guard every season and every year. Every year that it comes around, it it catches me off guard. I guess one of the reasons, if I'm honest, that it catches me off guard is that they come around a lot faster than they used to, it seems like. I don't know if any of you experience that, but that happens to me. Uh, It also seems to catch me off guard, too, because our culture spends the whole year, our our culture spends the entire year uh, denying the relevance of Christ. Like all year long, they just deny the relevance of Christ, and then we come and we celebrate him for about a month and a half every year, and that catches me off guard. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, people spend money at Christmas time to celebrate the birth of Christ. They take time off from their jobs. They travel all over the world to be with family members to celebrate the birth of the Christ. And it just reminds me that regardless of what we say as a culture, Jesus is still 21 centuries after his birth, as relevant as, uh, as he ever was. But there's one other aspect of Christmas that always catches me off guard as well, and it's this. It's that, it's that all of the warmth and all of the tenderness and all of the sentiment 
that surrounds Christmas as we have come to know it, all of that seems so starkly at odds with the ominous mood of the biblical account of the first Christmas and even the language that is used to describe the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start a new series that is going to take us through Christmas Eve. And the title of this series is going to be A Shockingly Ominous Christmas. We're going to do that through the next few weeks. It's going to take us all the way up to Christmas Eve. A Shockingly Ominous Christmas is the name of this series. And what I want you to see throughout this series is that there is... There's a combativeness about Christmas. There's a combativeness about the doctrine of Christmas that popular sentiment about Christmas doesn't seem to reflect. And I think we have to, we have to see that. We've got to get that if we're going to understand uh, the significance of the birth of Christ. And what I want to do this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And this is where we're going to start This series is at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 25. Jesus has already been born uh, in this passage. He's still an infant, but he's already been born. And actually, I will tell you that we're going to kind of work backwards to Christ's birth uh, the closer that we get to Christmas. So we start now. He's already born. We're going to work backwards to his birth, uh, as I said, the closer we get to Christmas. We're going to start reading at Luke 2, verse 25. Before I do that, though, I just want to say this. I thought Sean Little did a great job the last couple weeks. And if you would show your uh, appreciation to Sean, um, just to say thank you. Sean's going to be back with us at the end of the month, so just want you guys to be aware. He'll be back, and uh, he's doing, I, I, again, I think he did a great job, and I'm looking forward to him coming back and speaking again at the end of the month. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Let's start reading there, because I want you to see the ominous mood of the first Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's referring to this child. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, Jesus' mother. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's what I mean when I say that there is this ominous mood that is surrounding uh, the birth of Christ. Let me read that again. It says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be spoken against, 
The thoughts of many hearts will be, will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now that's, that's hardly the sentiment that is expressed in, uh, say, Amy Grant's Tender Tennessee Christmas or in the song I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, both of which are great songs. I mean, I love those songs, but this is not the sentiment that is expressed in those songs. There's a, there's a combativeness about Simeon's words here. When I read these words, I get a sense that Jesus came, he was born to pick a fight. And you're like, "Why? wait a minute, I, I, I thought that Jesus came to bring peace. And I would tell you, he did, he did come to bring peace, but he brings peace through conflict. And I wonder if that surprises you. Because here's what people miss about Christmas. Here's what, they, here's what they really don't get, they don't understand, is that Jesus came to earth to stake out a claim. And, and the claim that he was staking out was an enormous claim. He came to stake out every inch of the physical universe. He came to stake out every inch of the spiritual universe, every inch of the mental universe. He came to, he came to stake out a claim of every inch of your life and my life. And he has claimed it all as, as his. Every inch is his. He's like, he's like, your intellectual property, that's mine. Your body, that's mine. Your technology, that's, that's mine. Your family, your family's mine. Your money, that's, that's mine. Uh, your talents, they're, they're mine. All the nations of the earth, mine. The oil underneath the ground, mine. The child that's in your womb, mine. And that's the claim that he stakes out. Now, let me ask you something. What happens to you? I mean, don't, don't think about Jesus for the moment. Just think about you. What happens to you when you stake a claim on something that someone else thinks is theirs? What happens? I mean, you're in for a fight, right? I mean, like if you say, if you say that's mine and they think it's yours, I mean, from the time you're a little baby, the time, from the time you're a little kid playing with other little kids, and you say that toy's mine, you're in for a fight. And when you get older, all the, all the toys when you get older, it's still a fight. Like if you stake out someone, a claim on what someone else thinks is theirs, you're in for a fight. And in the same way, there are, force, there are spiritual forces in the world that reject all of Jesus' claims. There are human beings who reject Jesus' claims. There is a war, an all-out war, for all the claims that Jesus made on the world. And so, yes, it is true that Jesus does bring peace in the end, but he does it through conflict. And here's another way to say it, and this might surprise some of you. Jesus was not born to be a uniter. He was born to be a divider. And I wonder if that surprises you. Jesus wasn't born to be a uniter. He was born to be a divider. He came to create conflict. And let me ask you something. How many of you would say that is consistent with your understanding of the meaning of Christmas? How many of you would say that's consistent with your understanding of the meaning of Christmas? Yeah, not many hands here. Most of you wouldn't say, yeah, I get it. Jesus came to be a, a divider, not a uniter. Most of you wouldn't say that. Because, it's so, because that idea that Jesus came to create conflict is so different from popular sentiment about Christmas, 
Uh, I want to just take a few minutes this morning, and I want to explain what I mean by showing you two principles from this passage. I could show you a hundred, but I want to show you two principles from this passage that demonstrate what I mean when I say that Jesus uh, was born to be a divider, that he, that he was born to create conflict. And let me just give you the first one here. Let me just, here's the first one, and I'll show you in just a moment, but let me give it to you so you can write it down or make a note of this somehow. I want you to understand that Jesus, when he was born, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, all of that, Jesus causes conflict between people. That Jesus causes conflict between people. Now look again at what Simeon says about this child. He says, he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Now what he's saying, what Simeon is saying here, is that Jesus, uh, Jesus is going to be polarizing to people. Uh, he's going to cause some people to rise and some people to fall, but there's not going to be any in between. In other, words, he's, in other words, you're either going to love Jesus or you're going to hate Jesus, uh, but there's no in-between. He's, he's divisive in that sense. He brings conflict between people. And if you don't think that's true, just, just think about, just consider for a moment his claims. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the King of kings and Lord of lords over everyone and everything in the universe. Now, what do you do with someone like that? I want you to imagine for the moment that as you're leaving today, someone, some guy comes walking up to you on the street and, and he says to you, he says, I own you, you are mine. What do you do with that? Like you can't remain, you can't remain neutral about that kind of person if they say that to you. You can't be neutral about them. You, you can't just say, you know, uh, whatever. Well, you have, to, you have to either reject that person or you have to submit that person. Submit to that person because that, that kind of a person is, is very polarizing uh, to you. And you have to understand that because of the claims that Jesus makes in many parts of the world today and even in many families here in America, if one member of the family accepts the claims of Christ and places uh, his or her faith in Jesus, if they do that, they'll likely be disowned by their families. And in some parts of the world, sometimes they're even in danger of being killed by their own families because of, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so you see, Jesus, he, he comes between people because he's polarizing. And he doesn't, the thing about Jesus is that he doesn't moderate his claims for anybody. He says things that are shocking. He says things that are frightening sometimes. He, he says things and he doesn't apologize for them. Like listen to this one. It's in Matthew chapter 10 uh, verse 34. Jesus says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. Watch this. He says, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. And he says things like those things, and he doesn't apologize for them. He doesn't moderate them. I mean, if you brought him on CNN and tried to interview him, if Wolf Blitzer had him, you know, in an interview, and, and he said, do you, do you really mean to say that? Jesus would be like, I said it. Yes, of course I meant to say it. I don't say things I don't mean to say. Yes, I said that. I meant that. 
Nobody would be able, you know, no special interest groups would be able to pressure him to modify or to change or to moderate what he said. No, Jesus said it. He doesn't apologize for it. And he says other things. He says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall pass through the Father but through me. He says, he, he says in Matthew 5, he says, I'm so important that if your hand or your eye gets in the way of a relationship with me, cut it off or pluck out your eye. He says in another, another passage, he says, eat my body, drink my blood. Now, I think you can agree, right, that you can't be in the middle about a person like that. I mean, those are very polarizing statements. Intellectual honesty demands that you either rise or fall on the basis of that. You either submit to Jesus or you find him repulsive, which is what Simeon means when he says, when he says that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. Like some people are going to find him repulsive. That, that's gross. He's crazy. Whatever. But one thing you can't be about Jesus is in the middle about him. I was in a conversation this past week with some folks and they were telling me, I have not seen this, but they, they told me that there's a new billboard in town that, uh, that somebody or some organization put up. Some of you guys may have seen this billboard. And it says, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. It's an atheist or an atheist organization that put this billboard up. Have you guys seen it? Any of you seen that? Some of you guys have seen it? Okay. Well, it's okay. I mean, they have every right to put that up. We don't need to get our panties in a wad about that. It's what Simeon was foretelling in this passage over 2,000 years ago, he was saying Jesus is going to be a sign that is spoken against. He causes conflict between people. You either love him or you hate him, but you're not in between about Jesus. There are people who hate Christianity and hate all of the claims of Jesus. They hate him. And at least, I think the, at the very least, what you can say about those people is at least they're intellectually honest. Right? I mean, at least they're being intellectually honest. Yeah, I, I don't dig him. In fact, I hate him. I think what he claims is ridiculous. I don't dig him at all. And then on the other hand, there are people who have with like every fiber of their being decided that Jesus Christ has to be supreme and he has to be central to everything in their life and in every decision that they make and in every facet of their life and their work, their family, their sex life, everything, that Jesus has to be the center of all of that. There are those kind of people too. So there are the people who hate him and then there are the people who love him. But you can't be in the middle about somebody like Jesus who says the kind of things that he says. Now, but here's the question that I, I, I would imagine that there are some of you asking right now, and, and it's a fair question that you're asking, and that is, okay, if, if you can't be in the middle about Jesus, if, if Jesus is so polarizing, why are there so many people in the world who don't seem to be polarized by Jesus? And like here in Evansville, even. Why are there so many people here in Evansville that don't seem to be polarized by people? There's, there's, there's quite a lot of people in churches here in Evansville, and maybe even in this church, and maybe not even in church. Maybe, maybe, maybe they don't go to church. But there's a lot of people in Evansville who seem to be just like they're okay with Jesus, but they don't get worked up about Jesus on either side of the equation. It's not like they 
Not like they think he ought to be central. He's like the most important thing in life and that they're passionate about that. But then there's, it's not like that they're passionately angry or, or passionately hateful uh, about Jesus either. They're just kind of, they're kind of okay. And, and if, if, if he's so polarizing, why are so many people not polarized by him? They don't know what? They don't know anything about him. Okay, that's fair. Or it could also be this. It could be that there are people who don't want to have to choose. They don't want to have to rise or they don't want to have to fall. They want to believe that Jesus was a nice guy who taught about morality, but they don't want to have to believe that they have to choose that he's either the savior of the world, the God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, or else an absolute sham. But they don't want to be forced to believe that. They don't want to have to, they don't want to, have to choose those things. They want, to be, they want to be mild. They want to be sort of Christian, kind of moral, kind of religious. But they don't want to have to choose one or the other. And the, the problem with that, though, is that the Jesus of the Bible doesn't allow that because he's so polarizing. The things he says, he doesn't allow you to be in the middle. The the whole Jesus was a nice guy, a good moral teacher, one of the many ways to God, that's a myth. The Jesus of the Bible demands adoration. He demands allegiance. And you can't be intellectually honest and in the middle about him. There's this great quote by C.S. Lewis written many years ago. And he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, infinite importance. But the one thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus' birth divides people and he causes conflict between people. Somebody said one time, I love this saying, they said that Jesus is the only name that when you drop it into a conversation, all hell breaks loose. Literally, all hell breaks loose. And that's true because of who he said he is. He said, I'm God, I'm the only way. I'm the Lord of Lords, I'm the King of Kings. And I demand every inch, every inch of your life to be given to me. And that's polarizing. It's polarizing. My question to you is, do you either hate him and despise him, or is he the supreme thing in your life so that there's not a decision that you make, not an aspect of your life that you're not working to bring under his rule and authority the King of kings and the Lord of lords, intellectual honesty demands that you hold one of those two positions. But if you're in the middle about Jesus, the Jesus that you believe in is a fantasy. Simeon says it. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising, the loving or the hating, the one side or the other, but not the middle. He will be a sign that is spoken against. So what we're talking about this morning is the fact that Jesus did not come to be a uniter. He came. He was born on this planet to be a divider. He causes conflict. And, and, and what we've seen so far is that he causes conflict between people, right? I mean, whole families can be destroyed because of Jesus. But it's not just conflict between people. Here's the other thing that I want you to see, the last kind of big principle that I want you to get this morning is that Jesus doesn't just cause conflict between people. He causes conflict also within people. Within people. Within individuals. 
within me. He causes conflict within me. He causes conflict within you. Everybody here, he causes conflict within you. And if you just notice, again, look at what Simeon says to Mary, that last line. He says, and a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, too. A sword will pierce your own soul, too. In short, what Simeon is saying when he tells Mary this, that that a sword will pierce her own soul, what he's saying is there's going to be a lot of pain in your life, Mary, because, because of Jesus. A lot of pain. It's going to come your way because of Jesus. And I, you know, here's the thing. Maybe you will consider this to be bad news. Here's the thing. This isn't just a word about Mary. Mary sort of serves as a representative here of, of all of us. It's everyone who loves Jesus. A sword will pierce your own spirit too. Not just that he causes conflict between people. He's going to cause pain, conflict in your own life. And again, you say, well, I thought he came to bring peace. Well, he does, but it comes through conflict. This text teaches that if you love Jesus, if you stand by him, a sword will pass through your own soul, your own spirit, your own heart as well. And I want to just give you, uh, I want to give you two examples of this. Um, because I think this, you've got to understand when we say that Jesus brings conflict within your own soul. You've got to understand what we mean by that. Okay? And I just want to give you two examples of that this morning. Here's the first one. You can write this down if you want to. The peace of Christ, right? because he, he always does ultimately bring peace. Always does. But it comes through conflict. The peace of Christ always comes after the sting of repentance. And let me, let me explain that for just a moment, okay? Because Jesus does cause conflict within you. And here's an example of that. The peace of Christ always comes after the sting of repentance. Uh, repentance is like uh, antiseptic. You know how like when you, you, know, you get a cut or uh, you, know, you get something on your, you, know, you cut your hand or something like that and you, you pour antiseptic on it. It, it? At first it always stings, doesn't it? I mean, it's always like, ow, that hurts. But that antiseptic heals it, keeps it from becoming infected, right? So it heals it. The the great thing about the gospel is that it says that anybody can come to God through Christ, no matter what your record is, no matter what you've done in the past, whether you've been a good person or a bad person, you know, regardless of what society would say about you. Society might say you're a loser. Jesus says, I love you. Uh, Society might say you're a winner. Jesus says, I love you. You're a sinner. You know, it's just like the gospel says, no matter what your record is, you can come. The gospel says, in a nutshell, it just says because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, that God can treat anyone who believes in Jesus as if you've done everything Jesus did and suffered everything that Jesus suffered. Which means that when you believe in Christ, you're adopted into God's family, not on the basis of your record, but on the basis of his record. And of course, here's what most people say. See if this doesn't sound familiar. You probably said it. I said it. Here's what most people's response to the gospel is. Well, that's uh, that's too easy. You mean you just receive it? That's, That's too easy. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? Raise your hand if you've ever heard it or ever said it. Yeah, a lot of us have said that. And the rest of you are lying. You said it too. You just don't want to raise your hand in church. We've all said it. 
And it's true. All you have to do is receive it. But, but, here's the, here's the but. There's always a big but, okay? You have to receive it through repentance. And that's not easy at all. Because repentance, see, the only way to get the peace of Christ is through the sting of repentance. And you know what it means to repent? To turn away from? Yeah. What it means to repent is to admit, yes, to turn away, to admit that you've done things wrong and to turn away from those things. But more than that, more than that, it means to admit that you have a sinful, selfish heart. And more than that, it means to admit that you can't change that about yourself, that you're powerless to change any of that. And therefore, it means to admit that you need both forgiveness and a power to change. So it means that you're saying, when you repent, it means that you're saying that the only hope that I have is through the sheer mercy of God. Now, even as I'm saying that, how does that feel to you? Because I'm guessing that there are some of you, even as I'm talking right now, some of you are very uncomfortable and some of you are probably squirming when you hear that. That is the sting of repentance. See? Now, on the other side of that sting is unbelievable personal peace. But it comes through that conflict within your soul that says on the one hand, no, I can make it, I can do it. And on the other hand, that says, I have to admit that I'm broken and I am powerless. That stings. There's peace, but it has to come through repentance. And so that's what I mean when I say, that's one example of what I mean when I say that Jesus brings conflict not only between people, but also within your own soul, okay? Okay? Now, let me just give you a second example of that real quick, and then, and then, then I'll, I'll close, I promise. The second example of this conflict within people that Jesus brings is this. Here, here's what I want you to understand. Christ's peace, okay, it's always there. It comes through conflict. Christ's peace comes with the sting of obedience. Christ's peace comes with the sting of of obedience. Now let me let me explain that. There is a there is a, there, there is like a sting to ob- obedience. And and what do I mean by that? Well, look, here's the thing. I I don't know how to say it any other way than to just say it this way that there's going to be many places where if you believe in Christ, you're going to you're going to find yourself at a crossroads in your life. And you're going to be like you're going to come to this crossroads and you're going to be like that direction is the road to comfort and uh, this is the, you know, this road right here. If I go this way, uh, that's the road to conflict, right? It's going to happen. And you're going to be like, if I go this way, uh, well, that may mean more money. But if I obey, uh, that may mean less money. And you may, maybe you'll be at a crossroads where you'll be like, this direction means that I'll have a great reputation 
And you say, if I obey and go this way, I'm going to lose that uh, reputation. Or maybe you're going to be like, if I go this direction, I'm going to be able to keep my boyfriend or my girlfriend. But if I go this direction, um, I may lose my boyfriend. I may lose my girlfriend. Often you're going to come to these crossroads where it's going to look like the road to peace is the disobedient road and the road to conflict is the obedient road. But God comes along and he says, because this is a fallen and broken world, in the short run, in the short run, obedience, uh, is, it's the way of the sword. Uh, it's the way of conflict. But because, because this world is my world, because I'm the one who designed it, because I'm the one that's in charge of it, ultimately, the road to peace is the way of obedience. Ultimately. And so if we learn anything from the birth of Christ, we learn that that there will be conflict in this world because Jesus came to cause it, both between people and within people. And what does it mean? What what does it mean for us? What's the significance of all of that for us? Well, it it means in part... I'll say it this way. It means in part that we can stop being crybabies about everything. Like when stuff doesn't go our way, when we get persecuted, when we suffer, when, when things don't go the way that we want them to, when it doesn't turn out in the you know, neat tiny bow that we were all hoping that it would turn out in, and when it doesn't turn out with the white picket fence and the, the, the family with two cars and two kids and the house that's so beautiful and living happily ever after, when it doesn't turn out that way, we can stop being crybabies because we know that there is going to be conflict in this world. There is going to be suffering. Jesus came to cause some of that. Mary would experience that. Let me tell you, think about, what's, think about the implications of what Mary, what Simeon told Mary. She'd never get to bounce Jesus' children on her knees. She'd never get to bounce grandchildren from Jesus on her knee at her retirement home in Florida. She'd never get to do that. She'd have to watch him She'd have to watch her own son be flogged, persecuted, hung on one of those gruesome Roman crosses. By the way, as Mary and Joseph came into Jerusalem, to the temple, from where they lived, all along the road, so like if this was a road that they walked in, all along the road there would be these crosses, and there were always people hung on those crosses, and you could see, you, the message from the Roman government was, don't cross the Roman government. That was the message. And so as they journeyed into Jerusalem, they would see these bodies, these people suffering, you, you know, uh, just like feces running down their, their legs and blood running down their legs and seeing these people screaming as they hung on a cross. They, they, would, they would have seen those as they come in. That, that was part of how the Roman government intimidated people and kept them in line. Don't cross the Roman government. And as Mary came in, she, she would have seen that. And Simeon is saying, saying to her, you're going to see that. 
Your son is going to be there. What mother wishes that for a son? He's saying, you're going to see that. That's where your son is going to be hung. She would experience a pain that only a mother knows when her child suffers. And of course, Jesus himself would experience that. Yes, he's going to bring peace on earth. In the future, there's going to be a day when he rules the earth and he's going to bring perfect peace onto the planet. But the way of peace went through the suffering of the cross. And because Jesus experienced that, we're going to experience that. And so we never have to be surprised by suffering and by conflict and by persecution as a result of our belief in Christ. But we know this too. That Jesus Christ didn't come just to die and just to suffer. We know that on the other side of the cross, there is the peace of the resurrection and the hope of the future peace for the entire world When Jesus comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he rules the planet with perfect justice, there will be perfect peace on the planet. There's always peace ultimately in the end. But it comes through conflict. And that's the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, this takes us by surprise. For some reason, when we read the scriptures, when we celebrate Christmas each year, we miss this part of it, that there is a sense in which you came to divide, that you came um, not to bring peace, but to bring a sword, and that sword it creates conflict between people and it creates conflict within our, within our own souls. Lord, a part of that conflict within our souls is this issue of repentance. Lord, the gospel just seems too good, uh, frankly. It seems too easy. That all we have to do is receive, to believe that you died on the cross for our sins and, and that through that that we can be forgiven and then you were raised again so that we can be given a power that can actually change us from the inside out. It just seems too easy to believe that. But we know also that it comes through the sting of repentance. If there are people here this morning, Lord, that have never made a decision, they've never come to a point where they have repented, where they have said, look, I I believe that in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that I can experience salvation. If they've never come to that moment, Lord, I pray that in this moment, right now, right here, that they would come to a place of repentance where they would say, I admit it, I'm a sinner, I I have a sinful, selfish heart. And I'm powerless to change that. Or would you bring them to that moment of repentance and that they would look to you and to you alone for forgiveness and for the power to change. And that they would believe. This Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of you, Lord Jesus, as a child. We 
Would you remind us of the claims that you make upon life and on human life and on this planet and on the universe? That it's all yours. It's all yours. It's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship.